Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26, 1 Samuel chapter 26, and I really want to teach you something today that I, I really believe God has put on my heart. And as you know, that um, this morning as we are continuing our series entitled Fearless, we've been in the life of David. We've been looking at the life of David because the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And now we've come to 1 Samuel chapter 26. It's rather lengthy, so follow along with me. Then the Ziphites went to Saul of Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding in the hills of Hikalah, which faces Jesmon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hilkalah facing Jeshman. But David stayed in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped, and he saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, laid down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zerai, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I will go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered you and your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and left now, one, not, no one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them, and he called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, who are you who is calling the king? And David said, you're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord the king? Someone came to destroy your Lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master and the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that was near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this not your voice, David, my son? And David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. 
If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from your share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back. David, my son, because you have considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today. But I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from my trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed. David, my son, you will do great things and surely triumph. So David went his way and Saul returned to his home. Now David is going through leadership boot camp And if David's ever going to be the leader that God wanted him to be, David must face the giants in his life. David has to face adversity in his life. He's got to be rejected. He's got to deal with the temptations of life. He's got to go through the cave experiences in his life if he's going to be everything that God wants him to be. And we know that David now is on the run from Saul. And David's on the run for Saul for a long time. And last week we discovered that some of us in our life, we feel like we're in a cave experience, a place where we're all by ourselves, all alone, hiding out. And, and I want you to know today, whoever you are, whatever situation you're going through in your life, God is at work in your life. He's got a plan for your life, and it's big. And it includes adversity in your life. And David, in order for David to be a great king, he has to go through these difficult times in his life. And so he's on the run from Saul, and he's hiding out in caves. And the Bible tells us that some Ziphites, these, these, these guys that were really out for David, um, these wimps, instead of going to get David himself, they go to Saul and they tell Saul that David is in the hills of Helcala. And the Bible tells us that Saul chooses 3,000 of his best warriors. Think about that. Saul chooses the best of the best. These guys were hunters. They were feared in Israel. They were great, great military strategists. And he chooses 300 of his greatest fighters. Think about it for a moment. I mean, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, didn't Saul have anything better to do with his kingship? Didn't Saul have anything better to do with the will of God in his life to chase David down like a dog? Think about how much time Saul wasted because he was an insecure leader. He could have been building up Israel. He could have been defeating his enemies. And yet he is so wrapped up in his jealousy. He's so wrapped up in his anger. He's so wrapped up in his insecurity that he wastes his life chasing down David. And the Bible says that David now finds out that Saul is in pursuit of him and he's come right where David is. And David, he sends out scouts and he scouts it out and he waits on the, on the mountaintop and he's looking down and he's actually watching what Saul is doing. The Bible says at sundown, Saul goes to sleep. He falls asleep and his 
warriors, his, his, his army is around him. And the Bible says that at that moment, David asked Abishai to go with him down and to take Saul's spear. So, so David, he, he, he sneaks into the camp. He sneaks past Abner. He sneaks past the warriors. And he steals Saul's spear and water jug. And he takes it back up to the mountain. And while he's on the mountain, he begins to shout down at Saul. And he begins to tell Saul, Saul, why are you chasing me? What have I done that you are chasing me? I have loved you. I have served you, Saul. Saul, what is it that has incited you against me to do this? And so David now has to confront a situation. And Abishai says to David, David, while we are here, while we have stolen his spear, David, let me take his spear and thrust it through Saul's heart. Listen to me, David. I won't have to do it twice. I'll just do it one time. I will finish him off. And at that very moment, David has to make a decision. There's a battle, I believe, that goes on in David's heart. David, right there, has to decide what is he going to do. God, what do I do in this situation? Do I see this moment as a divine opportunity from God? Do I strike back someone who hurt me, who really hurt me? Do I strike back and hurt somebody that's hurt me so deeply, somebody that's, that I really trusted, somebody that's an abusive monster who tried to kill me? And at that moment, David had to make the most important, possibly the most life-altering decision of his life. Do I take this opportunity? Will I ever get this opportunity again? Is this God or is this my flesh? Is this God or is this the devil? And while Abishai is urging David on, David, let me kill the king. Let me kill your, 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 your enemy. Don't forget, David, how he hurt you. Don't forget, David, how you're on the run. And all I have to do is take one shot at him and your troubles are all gone, David. And I'm sure David had to decide. I'm sure there was a struggle in David's spirit. I'm sure there was a struggle in David's flesh. I'm sure there was a struggle in David's heart and mind. I'm sure that David is struggling emotionally. But David chooses, instead of taking that moment, David chooses mercy and justice. He chooses love over hate. He chooses righteousness over unrighteousness. He chooses to bless instead of curse. He chooses to trust God over taking matters into his own hand. And right there, David's life passes right in front of him. David remembers I, I can imagine that as David is looking down and David could have taken Saul's life, I, I would imagine that David's life is passing before David and David is actually remembering. He's remembering as he sat at the table with his father-in-law, Saul, who's now trying to kill him. He's remembering the feast that they enjoyed together. He's remembering the laughter. He's remembering the things that Saul said to him that were kind. He's remembering those joyful times around the dinner table when David was enjoying the palace and the presence of the king. 
And at that very moment, David's life passes in front of him and he remembers the things that God had done in his life and he realizes at that very moment the people that we love the most, the people that we honor the most, the people that we respect the most are the people who can hurt us the most and the people that we love the most can hurt us the deepest and now David realizes people are broken people. David realizes that people that we love are fragile people, that often the people that we love struggle and wrestle with their own demons on the inside, that people that we love and the people that we love the deepest in our life are the ones that wrestle with their own insecurities and fears and emotional baggage in their life. And the truth is, in this room today, all of us, we have people in our life that we love so deeply, that we honor deeply, that we've we've desired for them to love us back. And here, I want to tell you something. The truth is many of us uh, during this season time, maybe at Thanksgiving or maybe at Christmas time, we've had to sit at the table with people that have hurt us. We've had to sit at the table with people that we trusted. We've had to sit at the table with people that perhaps maybe abused us, whatever it is. Why? Because that's what happens around the holiday. The holiday time is a time when we have to be with the people that seem to hurt us the most. Why? Because the people that we love the most are the ones that hurt us the deepest. And let me be honest with you. I think this room is filled with people today that have been hurt by broken people. Why? Because we're all broken. We're all hurt. And the truth is that the Bible tells us that the sins of the parents are visited upon the third generation And so often I sit with people and I I see their brokenness. I see their woundedness. And I can't help but to recognize that their brokenness has come at the hands of their father or their mother or their grandfather, their grandmother or their brother or their sister or their siblings, whoever they were. The people that we love the most hurt us the deepest. And the truth is we have to all come to that place in our life that the people that we sit with at the table are the people that we decide to give them mercy instead of justice, to give them righteousness instead of unrighteousness, to forgive instead of holding on to bitterness. And the truth is that people that we love become to us the tools that God uses to shape us and mold us into the people that God wants us to be. Come on, somebody. See, God is at work in all of our lives. When we give our lives to Jesus, God begins to do a great work in our life, and he puts people in our life. He puts broken people in our life. He puts dysfunctional people in our life. You know why? Because we're all broken. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're broken. (laughs) You're broken. We're all broken because we're all sinners. And sin creates death in our life. Sin creates dysfunction in our life. And the product of sin is is hatred and discord, jealousy and insecurity. The product of sin, the byproduct of sin is all kind of death in our life. And at that moment, we all need to recognize when we're hurt, we need to recognize that God is at work in our life and he's, he's using that hurt in our life 
to mold us and shape us into what God wants us to be. I think about Joseph. Joseph is a young man who gets a dream from God. And the dream is that one day, Joseph, your brothers are going to bow down before you. And Joseph is so proud. He doesn't know how to keep that vision to himself. And he shares it with his brothers. Not a good decision. And his brothers become jealous of Joseph. Why? His brothers were jealous of Joseph because Joseph shared that dream, but because Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved. Listen, parents, we never should play favorites, ever. And so now these these young men are jealous of Joseph, and they take Joseph one day, and they want to kill him, and they throw him in a prison. You know the story, and they sell him uh, as a slave, and now Joseph's in in Egypt, and he's a slave, and he's accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife, and now he's thrown into prison, and he's in prison for a while. And, and Joseph could have given up on everything and become bitter and angry, but Joseph always believed that God was at work in his life. Joseph always trusted that God was molding him and shaping him. And the Bible says that after a certain time, Joseph is let out of prison and, he's, and, and now he's raised to a second to Pharaoh. It's like a movie. And the Bible says that now there's a famine in the land and, and Joseph's brothers come to, to Egypt and they need grain and Joseph recognizes that it's his brothers and, and Joseph has to go through a, a heartbreaking time when he remembers, he recalls that he, he, he sat at the same table with his brothers. He laughed with his brothers. He rejoiced with his brothers. He might have opened up gifts with his brothers. He, he, he rejoiced over the harvest with his brothers. And now there's a famine in the land. And they come and they sit at Joseph's table. And they're feasting with Joseph. And then all of a sudden their eyes are open. And they realize this is our brother that we tried to kill. And fear strikes their very hearts. And they think, well, Joseph's going to take revenge on me. And Joseph stands up and says, what you meant for my harm God was using to mold me and shape me into the man that I am today. And what you meant for my harm, God has used for your good and for my good. Come on, somebody. All things work together for the good for those who love God. And are called according to his divine purpose in our lives. Come on, somebody. And so David has to decide how he's going to respond. Right there, David decides to take the high road. He decides to trust God. He decides to trust God and know that he's going to do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. Right there, David chooses to trust God's sovereignty and to trust in God's timing in his life and to trust in God's power to sustain him and keep him instead of doing something that he would regret for the rest of his life. Even though it seems totally justifiable, David just knew it wasn't God's way. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's opportunity to kill Saul. It was God's opportunity to kill the David that tried to rise up and live in the flesh. And many of us this weekend, many of us through the holidays will have opportunities. We'll have opportunities to allow God to do a deeper work, to do a deeper work of grace in our own life, to do a deeper work of mercy in our life, to do a deeper work of maturity in our own life as we sit at the table with people that have hurt us. Because the truth is, we all have scars in our life. And we all have memories in our life. We all have stories in our life. We all have situations in our life. We all have hurts that were inflicted upon us from somebody else. In fact, I want to be honest with you. If we all told our story to one another, we'd be amazed at how much pain is in this room right now. And some of you here, 
you're so embarrassed about your story that you'd never tell anyone else. I want you to know that God still loves you. God still has a plan for your life. And whether or not the pain was self-inflicted or brought on by someone else, whatever it may be, I want you to know today that God has a plan for your life and he wants to speak to your heart this morning. I want you to bow your heads for a moment and pray with me. Father, I pray for the next few moments, oh God. Lord, when we recognize the holidays are usually times when we have to confront a person or a memory or hurt or a pain or a wound in our lives. Lord, teach us how to handle it the right way, God. Lord, teach us how to handle rejection from people that we love. Help us, Lord God, to handle the pain that's been dealt to us by the people we wanted to respect the most. Teach us, Lord God, how to get over the hurt that runs so deep in our souls, oh God. And Lord, as we look at David's life, God, we recognize that even David, it's said in Psalms 41.9, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one I shared my food with, has turned against me. And Lord, I ask, oh God, that you would help us to deal with hurt the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so as we look at David's life, we learn some things about how to deal with hurt in our life. I want you to notice something. So David takes Saul's spear and it takes Saul's water jug and the Bible says that David goes up to a mountain and he has a decision to make. At that very moment, he has a decision. Do I operate in the flesh or do I allow the Holy Spirit to control my life? And I want to tell you something. Dealing with hurt is the most difficult thing in our life. Dealing with people and loving people after, after they hurt us is the hardest thing in all all the world to do. There's nothing harder. I mean, it's, it's easy to love people from a distance. It's easy to love your neighbor down the block. It's easy to love a person that's good to you. But Jesus said we're to love our enemies. Pray for our enemies. How many know that sometimes the people that are sitting at our own table feels like our enemy? And it's so difficult to be able to forgive somebody that hurt us so deeply. But that's why God has given us the Holy Spirit. See, if you're a born-again Christian and the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, then you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside. And Paul the Apostle tells us that we're not to walk by the flesh, operate in the flesh. And the truth is, there's no way in the world that we can forgive somebody that abused me. There's no way in the world that we can forgive somebody who used us and rejected us. There's no way we can forgive somebody who we trusted so deeply without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. I want you to know today that God has given you the Holy Spirit to come alongside of you, to be your comforter, to be your peace, to be your advocate, and to be your empowerer. And the things that you cannot do on your own, own God can do through you come on somebody God can do in you you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength come on somebody and I want you to know the Holy Spirit has been given to you to help you in your relationships because relationships are the most critical and complicated things in our life come on being married is complicated I know we all want it to be like the blue lagoon anybody ever see the blue lagoon like oh you know, we're living on an island. Everything is wonderful. No, it ain't. No, it's not. It's complicated putting two people together. 
Two people who are so different. Two people who have two different personalities and temperaments. Two people that are going to hurt each other. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. Dysfunctional people act dysfunctionally. And there's going to be problems in our life. That's why the Bible tells us that we're not to allow the sun to go down on our rest. How do we do that? How do we make sure we don't go to bed angry? How do we forgive as Christ has forgiven us? I mean, that is physically, emotionally, it is impossible to do that unless we have divine intervention from God. But I want you to know that Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive dunamis power. And the word in the Greek means enabling power. And there's nothing more difficult than loving somebody that hurts you. But I want you to know, you can do all things through Christ who lives inside of you, who strengthens you because he's given you the Holy Spirit so that you might have good relationships. I want you to know today the cycle is broken this morning, right now in this place. You don't have to pass your dysfunction on to your children and your grandchildren. You don't have to pass your pain on to your children and your grandchildren. You know why? Because the Bible says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The cycle breaks right here. The curse breaks right here. You can live in freedom from that pain. You can live in freedom from that bitterness. You can live in freedom from the things that hurt you. Why? Because God has set you free to be the person God wants you to be. Come on, somebody. The cycle breaks here, and it starts by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. See, at that moment, David was ruled by the Spirit and not the flesh. Now, now don't get me wrong. David doesn't always do the right thing. And, and, and that's what makes this statement even more powerful, is at that moment in David's life, David did the right thing. He didn't always do the right thing. He didn't do the right thing with Bathsheba. He didn't even do the right thing towards his enemies at times. I mean, you look at him later on when he's in this black period of his life, this dark period, and we're going to talk about that period as well. It's coming. When David's in a dark, dark time in his life, notice when David's on the run from uh, Absalom, his own son, one of Saul's descendants take rocks and pelt him. And David doesn't do anything about it. David's like, no, no, no. And his, and his, and his soldier's like, David, let me just take a spear and thrust this dog David's like, no, 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 let him keep doing it, let him keep doing it. And you think, David, he's such a spiritual guy. I mean, really, read on, read on. David says to his son Solomon, and you know that guy that threw rocks at me? Make sure he dies a painful death. <laughs> so, so David didn't always do the right thing. That's the point. The point is you have to walk in the spirit on all occasions, every day of your life. You can't just do it one time, but you've got to allow the Holy Spirit access to your heart, access to your emotions, access to your, your spirit and your mind to be able to allow you to be controlled by the Spirit on a daily basis. Listen to me. I know the pain runs deep, but as Spirit-filled children of God, God has given us His Spirit He's given us his power. He's given us the ability. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can live a spirit-controlled life. We don't have to have outbursts of anger. We don't have to respond and retaliate with vengeance. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us to come alongside of us 
to help us deal with the most difficult relationships in our life. It's called the fruit of the spirit. Paul tells us the secret of relationships, the secret for forgiveness, the secret to be able to confront a hurt and a pain in our life is found in the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Paul writes in Galatians 5, listen to what he says. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your husband. You shall love your wife. You shall love your sons and daughters, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, the guy that gets on your nerve as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I look at some couples and they just consume each other. They consume each other instead of blessing each other. I say then, Paul says, here's the secret. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. And you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. He said, because the fruit of the flesh or the outworking of the flesh is hatred and discord and division and bitterness and anger and rage. He said, but the fruit of the spirit, the characteristic of the Holy Spirit is love. How many know that we need unconditional love? in the relationships in our life that are the hardest to maintain. I mean, there's no harder relationship to maintain than those relationships that are the closest to us. And that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can love unconditionally. That means when we get hurt, we can forgive. That means when we get hurt and there's pain that runs deep, we have a well We can go to that well called the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will give us unconditional love. He said the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, shalom, long, long suffering. I like it. I like the word long suffering. You know, in other translations it's called patience, apachience, but I like long suffering because let me tell you something, you're in a relationship long enough you will suffer. <laughs> mhm. Yes. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know that that word faithfulness actually in the Greek is faith. Being able to have faith that a broken relationship can be mended. Being able to believe and have faith to believe that you can forgive, that you can move on, that you can see a relationship mended in your life. Gentleness and self-control. I don't know about you, but when somebody hurts me, the last word I want to hear is self-control. The last word I want to hear is control yourself. I want to get back. I want to take vengeance. I mean, even the best of us. You know, I'm amazed at how I come to the platform and I preach these sermons to you and I sound so spiritual 
and it sounds really good. And I leave this place and I'm in my car and somebody cuts me off and ah, bless you. Bless you. <laughs> I remember one Easter Sunday morning, I'll never forget this one Easter Sunday morning, I preached about the glory of Jesus' resurrection and the power of God in our life. And I left the church, and I'll never forget my little daughter, Jenna. We were walking across the street, and we were going to 7-Eleven. And I was crossing the street, and this car came whizzing by. And the car started yelling at me because I was, I was jaywalking. And the guy was yelling at me, screaming at me. I just got out of the church. And you know, I thought to myself, I could do something right now. And I did. You shut up! Praise God, Jenna. Didn't we have a good service? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Wasn't Jesus real? Wasn't he powerful in that service? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure she remembered that part of the day. <laughs> and you know, the truth is all of us need that self-control in our life, that spirit control in our life. And God knows there's nothing harder in our life to overcome than hurts, to forgive somebody's hurt us. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us that we're to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled is actually controlled. Controlled. See, you have to give control to the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul says we need to learn how to walk in step with the Spirit. And those that are led by the Spirit will not gratify the lust of the flesh. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to push you. He's not going to force you. He's not going to push you into forgiving that person that hurt you. Listen to me. He's not going to make you forgive. He's going to say you should. You could. You have the power. But then you have to make that decision to say, I will. You see, that's walking in step with the Spirit in your life. It's being led by the Spirit. And sometimes you can get to that point and say, no, I just can't, God. I just don't know how, God. I don't even know where to start. The Holy Spirit says, I'm here. I'm here. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the paracletus. I'm going to send you the helper. And he's going to help you. And what you can't do by yourself, he's going to give you the strength and power to do it right now. Oh, God, I pray for whoever's in this room today who feels like the pain is so deep and it runs so deep Lord in their hearts today Lord that they just don't even know how I pray that they would surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in their life so that God you might do that work through them in Jesus name amen secondly David refused to take a shortcut to deal with his pain and Mishai said let me add him just, just one strike of the spear in his heart. I won't have to do it twice. I'll make sure I finish the deal. I'll make sure I bump the... You think this guy's in the mafia, the Godfather. Listen, and let me tell you something. On Thanksgiving, the Godfather's always playing. You ever notice that? Yes, my son, Sonny. They killed him, my son. I like, I always wanted to do that. Abishai says, listen, just give me one shot at him, and I'll take care of it. And, and David, all your problems will disappear. It'll be gone. 
And David has a decision to make. Do I take that shortcut? And friends, I want you to know the devil's always going to offer us a shortcut when it comes to a relational hurt. Just leave. Just get out of the relationship. Walk away. Don't forgive. Lash back. Hurt. Whatever it is, take the shortcut and make yourself feel better. But notice what David says. Look what David says. David says, if I take revenge, if I take matters into my own hands, then I'm going to have to deal with the guilt of taking matters into my own hands and becoming like the person who hurt me. Wow. See, that's what happens when you take revenge, when you take vengeance, is you become like the very person who hurt you. Look at me, Christian. You're not like the person who hurt you. You're a born-again Christian. You have Jesus living on the inside. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You're not like the world. You don't take vengeance like the world. You don't act like the world. You're controlled by the Spirit, and you love instead of hate. You forgive instead of holding on to bitterness. Why? Because you never want to become like the person who hurt you. Come on, somebody. Say amen. And David said, I'm going to probably regret for a long time, this decision. And Abishai said, today, if you let, him, let me do it, I'll take care of it. And this is what David said. David says to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Wow. Listen to me. When we respond to hurt the wrong way, we make situations a lot worse. Every time I respond in anger, I always make it worse. That's why Paul tells us, don't allow the sun to go down on your anger because we make it worse. But David chooses to wait on God and allow God to deal with Saul. David knew that God was not through with Saul yet. Notice what David says. This is really important. David says, as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go down in, in battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. David knew that God has the last word in every person's life. And David did not want to get involved or get in the way of what, listen to me, of what God was doing in Saul's life. Listen to me. Listen what David says. God forbid that I touch the Lord's anointed. Now, I know pastors who have used this passage to say you should never talk against a pastor. You should never speak ill about a pastor because he's the Lord's anointed. She's the Lord's anointed. And you know what? That's true. I hope that I'm the Lord's anointed. But I have news for you today. You're the Lord's anointed too. You're the Lord's anointed too. You see, the Lord's anointed means that God just places his hand on somebody's life. And I'm not more important than you. I'm not asking you to disrespect me. I'm asking you to respect me. Why? Because I'm the Lord's anointed. I'm going to respect you. Why? Because you're the Lord's anointed. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When God comes to live inside of you, God takes you and he separates you and he sanctifies you. He makes you holy and he wants to use you. And he wants to use you the same way he wants to use me. And listen, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you to set you apart 
heart so that he can not only use you, but to do the work that he wants to do in your life. God is at work in your life. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's making you. And sometimes he's got to break you. He's shaping me. He's molding me. And sometimes he's got to break me. But listen to me. If you get involved and you touch the situation, you're going to make it worse. Why don't you let God do the work? Listen, God knows how to deal with his children. God knows how to deal with his sons and daughters. God is at work in his children. He wants to do a beautiful work in my life. He wants to do a beautiful work in your life. He will finish the work that he started. And God was at work in Saul's life. And David said, I'm not going to touch Saul. Why? Because I'm not God. I'm not going to play God. I'm not going to cut Saul's life short. I'm going to give God opportunity to minister to Saul. I'm going to give opportunity for God to do a work in Saul's life, to change his heart, to change his mind, to take away that insecurity. Why? Because Saul is precious to God. And I want you to know the person that hurt you, even though you don't think that's true, even though you want to hurt them, I want you to know the person that hurt you is precious to God. Hallelujah. He's important to God. She's important to God. Jesus died for the person who hurt you. Jesus died and shed his blood for the person who caused you pain. And he wants to do a work in his life. And if we forgive and if we let go, God can do that work in our life. Don't get in the way of God. Don't take the shortcut. Let God deal with the people that have hurt you. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. 1956, four missionaries flew into Ecuador. There's a movie called The End of the Spear. And it's a story about Jim Elliott, a missionary. And unfortunately, just recently, another young missionary, and I think he did it the wrong way. But Jim Elliott and his friends, they flew into Ecuador several times, and they made contact with the Ecuadorian Indians. And the um, story goes on that, that they were so excited about being able to share the gospel with these Indians that were secluded and separated from the world. And they flew their plane in only to meet with their death. Some of the Indians, they had actually deceived them to think that they wanted a plane ride, but they did not. They actually were there to martyr them and, and, and kill them. And um, Jim Elliott and his friends were speared to death. But the story continues on. His wife could have become so angry and bitter at these Indians who took his, his, her, her husband's life. And yet... The story goes on that Elizabeth Elliot went back to those same people who killed their husbands. Her and a couple of the wives went back and shared the gospel with these Indians and they gave their life to Jesus. They understood the power of mercy and forgiveness, the power of the cross through Elizabeth Elliot, who did not allow her heart to be uh, torn in pieces through bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and today there's a whole tribe of people in Ecuador that believe in Jesus Christ because of what Elizabeth Elliot did. You said, I could never do that. No, you can't, but the Holy Spirit can through your life. Come on, somebody say amen. Jim and Marilyn Walker, several years ago, Jim and Marilyn Walker uh, tell the story about how their son was brutally murdered. And they tell the, about the brutal murder, and they also share that as Christians, 
they were called to forgive the person who brutally murdered their son. And so they went to visit the murderer in prison. And while they were in prison with this murderer, they actually shared the love of Jesus with him. And he gave his life to Jesus. And now he's a Christian. Is he still in prison? Yes. Is he a murderer? Yes. But Jesus forgave him. God wrote his name in the Lamb's book of life. And he's going to heaven. I know some of you right now are saying, I can't even fathom. I can't even imagine for a moment that I would be able to do that. I want you to understand, folks, that Jesus, that's exactly what he did when he died on the cross. You hung him on the cross. I hung him on the cross. I rejected him. You rejected him. We murdered Jesus. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Joseph reminds his brothers, what you meant for my harm, God was at work for your good and for my good. David didn't take revenge, and even though the circumstances made it possible, even though David's friends were encouraging him to do so, listen to me, I want to, show, I want to share something with you. Some of you, you need to unload some of your friends. I mean, you need to get rid of them. Because if they don't know the word, they're not spirit-filled, they don't understand the plan of God, they're going to tell you to take revenge. They're going to tell you that it'd feel great if you would just take revenge. But you need to get rid of those people that are telling you to do the thing that is not what God has told you to do in his word. David believed it was the Lord who would avenge him, not himself. Let's read some scripture. I said this last week, but let me say it again. God always has his last word. But, but let me read some scripture to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if possible, as far as it is, depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So as Christians, we're called to live at peace with those around us to love even our enemies, which means that we refrain from revenge and grudges and trust God to take vengeance because God is in control of our situation, of their situation, and he understands how to deal with it. Someone once said to be angry is to revenge the faults of others on ourselves. Someone else said there is no revenge so complete as forgiveness. Someone else said the best revenge is to be unlike him who performed the injury. I love this one. I love this one. Gorgeous hair is the best revenge. <laughs> Ivana Trump. I suppose she was directing that to her husband. Somebody else said, the problem with revenge is that it never evens the score. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as Parity is demanded, and the escalator never stops. While seeking revenge, dig two graves, one for yourself. David knew that God was at work in both himself and in Saul. So David said, God forbid that I get involved and make it worse. Fourthly, let me go on. David was brutally honest with his hurts and pains. Now listen to me. I know some of you, look at me. I know some of you, as you're listening to this, you're saying, but you don't understand my pain. And are you telling me that I'm supposed to just forget it? Are you telling me that I'm supposed to deny that it ever happened? No, not at all. David is brutally honest with what goes on. 
David understood, this is my moment. This is my opportunity, not to kill Saul, but to speak to Saul and tell Saul what he did to me was wrong. It was David's opportunity. It was his day in court to say, Saul, what have I ever done to you in the first place, Saul? If I've done anything wrong, notice David's humility. He doesn't come arrogant. He doesn't come angry. He says, Saul, who are you seeking after anyway? I'm just a flea. I'm just like a partridge in the mountains. Why are you running after me? If I did anything wrong, the Lord will avenge you. He said, if I did anything wrong, then let my blood be spilled right in the presence of God Almighty. So David shares what happened. He shares his hurt. Jesus gives us the formula. Listen to me. Look at me. Jesus gives us the formula. He doesn't say deny it. He doesn't say refuse to even think about it. He says you've got to work through it. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that if you know that you've offended somebody or somebody's offended you, leave your gift at the altar. He says before you even begin to worship me, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to the person. Go share what happened with the person. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 18 and he says, listen, he said, if somebody's hurt you, go tell that person, just you and that person, so that you can contain the situation. How often do we tell other people instead of telling the person who hurt us? And you know what happens so often when we tell other people? We pollute other people, and other people begin to carry our offense. And now we go and maybe we make it right with the person, but all these other people now don't like the person that hurt you. Why? Because they're carrying your offense. So Jesus gives us the prescription to contain the hurt. He said, if somebody hurts you, be big enough, be mature enough, be Christ-like enough, be spirit-controlled enough to go directly to the... That's hard, isn't it? Come on, come on. Isn't that hard? And he says, and if it's so difficult to do that, because maybe the other person doesn't want to hear it, or the pain is so hard. He said, find a mature, let me say it again, find a mature, let me say it again, find a mature Christian who's non-biased about the situation and bring that person with you and speak in love. And if that doesn't work, then call the pastors and have the pastors get involved in it so that you can bring healing. But the heart of it, the motive behind it is that you want reconciliation. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. And you know what? At that point, listen what David does. This is powerful. <laughs> David decides, I'm going to share what Saul did to me and how I feel about it. And notice what Saul does. Notice what Saul does. Saul says, is that you, my son? Is that you, my son-in-law, that I love and I'm trying to kill? Is that you, my son-in-law, that I've been chasing down and I have 300 warriors with you, 3,000 warriors? Is that you, my son? That's, that's me. Oh, my son, you're a better man than me. Thank you for treating my life as precious. Notice, David treated his life as precious to God. He said, you spared my life. Hey, David, come back with me. Come back to the palace with me. Now, notice what happens. David doesn't go back to the palace with him. Hmm? 
The Bible says, and so Saul returned home and David went on his way. That's powerful. In other words, <laughs> David went back to the palace two times and Saul was bent on killing him. What does that say? That at some point you do your part. You leave it up to God. If you're truly reconciled, then you go on and you forget that it ever happened. But sometimes that can't happen. And the Bible says you let it go. You release. You forgive. You hold on to no bitterness. And as David did, you go on your way. And David went on his way. Let's pray. Someone once said, when somebody hurts you, you recognize the offense for what it is. You resist the tendency to defend your position. You give up the need to be right. You recognize and apologize for anything you may have done to contribute to the situation, and that is so true. You respond and you don't react. You adopt an attitude of bridge building as opposed to attacking and retreating. You realize that you may be the target of someone's anger, but not the source of it. You create some personal boundaries in your life. You realize that even if someone has hurt you, it doesn't need to take away your personal happiness. And let me add one more. And sometimes you move on. Sometimes you move on from the hurt. Always move on from the hurt. You move on from the hurt. David moved past the pain. David said, it's time for me to move past the pain. It's time for me to move past the hurt. No more living in the past. No more dwelling on the hurt. No more staying in the cave of despair and discouragement. Wow. This week, God said to me to tell some of you in this room, you've dealt with the hurt. You've allowed God to heal your heart. No more dwelling on the past pain. No more staying attached to the offense. No more having to rehash the hurt. No more blaming yourself. No more allowing the hurt to identify who you are. No more allowing the pain to punish you any longer. It's time to do what David did. Go on your way. David said, I forgive you, Saul, and now it's time for me to move on. It's time to move past the dysfunction. It's time to move beyond the abuse. It's time to move on past the insecurity and the sorrow. It's a new day. It's time to leave my cave. And maybe this morning you've been hurt by someone you love. It's time for you to choose to forgive. It's time for you to choose to deal with the hurt. It's time for you to let go and let God do something new in your life. Father, I pray right now as the worship team comes, I ask, oh God, that you would begin to allow your Holy Spirit to walk up and down the aisles of this church, to go into the overflow, to go up into the balcony, to go even beyond this building through live stream to somebody who's been hurt, 
God, I pray that you would help us to recognize that we have everything that we need to be able to move on and move past the hurt in our life, God. Lord, we refuse to stay hurt. We refuse to live in the cave of pain and heartache, Lord. God, you said whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And so, Lord, we want to be free today to worship you, Lord. Lord, we want to be able to worship you with our hands raised towards heaven with no anger or bitterness in our heart, God. And, Lord, we want to live, God, in the peace of God that passes all understanding, Father. Lord, we choose to forgive today, God, in the name of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. You say, Pastor, I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I'd like to come to Jesus and allow Jesus to wash my heart. My heart is filled with pain, filled with hurt, or just my heart is distant and far from God. But today I want to come home. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If that's you today, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain. If I die today, I'd go to heaven. I want to pray for you. Anybody in this place today, say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you for that hand. Anybody else today? Yes, 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 yes. Well, you know, let me tell you, folks. The truth is you only have to accept Jesus one time in your life. I know it sounds too good to be true, but when you accept Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You become a child of God, and you can't ever stop being God's child. So maybe you're afraid you're going to die and not go to heaven because you're just not living the way God wants you to live. I would encourage you to be discipled. I would encourage you to learn God's Word. I would, I would encourage you to come to the Foundations class, and if you've taken it, take it again until you understand that you're saved by grace. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. All you could do is receive it as a free gift. And when you're a son or daughter, you're always going to be a son and daughter. And God, he's going to finish the work that he started in you. But you got to let him do that. So I want to pray for you. Father, for those who raised their hand today, I pray that you would just touch their hearts, God. Lord, let them know that you love them with an everlasting love and that you died on the cross so that they might have eternal life. They can't earn it. They don't deserve it. They just have to receive it. If you raised your hand today, said, yes, pastor, I, I want Jesus to come into my life. There's some, we call them counselors, altar prayer counselors. They're here today and they want to pray for you today and they want to give you some information. And so I'm going to put the onus on you today. If you really want to know Jesus, then after the service, I want you to see one of these counselors. And they're going to give you the information they need, that you need, and they're going to help you to start your journey of faith. Let me ask you a question. When every head bowed, every eye closed, just between you, me, and God, how many of you in this room, you've been hurt by somebody that you love deeply? Let me see your hands right now. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands been hurt by somebody that you love deeply in this room yes 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 well i want you to know your father loves you so much god loves you so much and he's doing a work in you and he uses hurt as one of the greatest ways to make us more like jesus 
Jesus was hurt and he wants you to be like him and he wants you to learn to love people like he does. And so if you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm going to embrace God's work in my life. I'm going to embrace God's will in my life. And I'm going to trust him. And maybe this morning you're, you're seeing things a little differently than you did before you walked in. Because I know that some of you are going to sit at the table this Christmas with some people that have hurt you. But as you move into the Christmas season, why don't you allow God to love you today and minister to your hurt today?